for. And we will ask you, Lord God, to anoint us. Lord, we want to know your ways. We don't want to walk in our ways anymore. Lord, we have come to know since we've met you that our ways are opposite of your ways. And so, Lord, do whatever you have to do in us, with us, through us, or to us to bring us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We open up our hearts to you tonight and we say, have your way. Have your way, Lord God. Anoint us, God. Open up our hearts and our eyes and let us see, let us understand. Father, we want to know you. We want to know you. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. For it says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. You know, the more we know how wonderfully we're made and how God has formed us, the more we will appreciate all creation, meaning all other people, that we will uh, appreciate them and we will really honor the creation that God has created and not stand and get upset at people. And um, Lord, he wants us to love them all. Verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties or my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked or hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting, which we know is his way. He is, um, he is the way and the truth and the life. And there is no other other than him, our Lord Jesus Christ. So those uh, wicked or hurtful ways, those hurtful ways, as long as we have hurtful ways within us, we're going to hurt other people. That's just the way it is because it's going to come out. So if it's in me, it's going to come out of me. And so that's why we want it to be taken out. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. In the New King James Version, tells us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In the King James Version, it says, be careful for nothing, is how it puts it. But that word careful means anxious. In the Amplified Version, it says, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. God really wants us to be people that no matter what is going on in life, no matter what the events are, which is what we were just talking about last week, always there's an event, and usually we always say, then there's the observation, then there's the interpretation, then there comes the thoughts and the feelings and the tempers and all those things after that because of our interpretation of what we have just seen or heard. And God wants us free. He wants us to be like him. In his word, we know in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, it says that all about the spirit of the Lord be upon you and so forth on down, that he delights in the fear of the Lord. And then it says that he does not judge by what he sees or decide by what he hears. But we, because of sin nature, will judge by what we see and decide 
by what we hear. Our opinions can be changed of a person. We can really care for a person. Someone can come up and say something to us, and just like that, we can be influenced, and now we feel strange around that person. We have feelings that are different for that person than we had just seconds ago before we heard that. Well, God wants us to get to the point that no matter what we see and what we hear, we won't judge and we won't make our decisions on that. That we have to understand we're here to walk by the Spirit and not by our flesh. And so God, over and over, He just wants to change us so into His image. In the concordance, careful means, and it is number 3309, and it means to be anxious about. It means to be careful or to have care. It means to take thought. You know, take thought before we react, before we do anything. Take thought. Trust him. Really trust him. In the dictionary, anxious means, uh, number one, an uneasy, uneasy in mind. Our minds are just having a problem. Worried. It means worried. Second, it means earnestly wishing or to be eager. Anxiety in the dictionary means this, painful uneasiness in mind, usually over an anticipated ill that something's wrong with us. Two, it means abnormal apprehension and fear, often accompanied by psychological signs as sweating an increased pulse uh, by doubt about the nature and reality of the threat itself and by self-doubt. So uh, anxiety is not a pleasant thing when somebody goes through anxiety. And Lord only knows I've been through a lot of it. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 is an instruction that we can learn and accomplish by putting this scripture into practice. That's the word proso, into practice in our daily situations in life. Be anxious for nothing. What God wants is as you're going along in your life, something happens, you feel that anxiety or being anxious about something. What the Holy Spirit wants is that scripture to come right up within you. And he'll bring it to you if you'll just wait. And don't, get, don't be so quick to react. He will bring that. Don't be anxious for anything. And it's like a soothing salve that comes upon your soul. And you realize, oh yeah, that's right. I'm not to be anxious. And so you change your thoughts. You put your thoughts on something else. The other place that this word is, is in the Word of God, uh, not only used but demonstrates anxiety in a life for us in a situation for us in Luke Luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42 and Jesus is speaking he's telling this whole situation he says now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her 
to help me. Can you imagine uh, telling Jesus something like this? I have a whole teaching about this in the first uh, manual that I did that it, it just it tickles me that these um, Martha and even Peter was that familiar with Jesus that he told he takes Jesus to the side and rebukes him remember and says Lord this is not going to happen to you so it amazes me that they did that but she is telling Jesus what to do and Jesus said to her Martha Martha you are worried and troubled about many things but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken from her isn't it awesome that we see our Savior cannot be controlled and that's exactly where he wants to take each one of us that no matter who comes up and tries to manipulate or tries to control you or tries to get you to do something that you know within your heart is not what is supposed to happen, that you won't do it. And that's where he wants to get you, that no matter what, he's the one that demonstrates these things to us. He is who we look to. He's our Savior. So when he said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled, he was saying you're anxious about many things, Martha. So um, I'm not going to have Mary stop. I'm not going to have Mary get up and, and start the serving. You know, it doesn't matter whether the meal is served in this moment or a half an hour later. Really, we have to come to the place where we understand and know what is trivial and or temporal, as the word says, or what is eternal. The eternal would be Martha sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to the truths that were coming from him. The temporal is whatever time they may eat a meal or even if they do eat a meal. All of the following is, um, you know, notes from one of the classes that I took in Florida Beacon Bible College. And I went to this because um, I just felt that if we know everything we can about anxiety it helps so most of us feel anxious and tense in the face of threatening or stressful situation that's normal that's absolutely normal such feelings are normal reactions to stress but anxiety is considered abnormal only when it occurs in situations that most people can handle with little difficulty like when I was going through my breakdown the things that I was anxious about most people that were normal at that point would not be anxious you know I used to try to figure out Lord what is the difference between me now and me before because I was so practical and so realistic and so calm and now all of a sudden, I'm not calm over anything. Everything was tremendous and big within my life. And, you know, honestly, one time the Lord really answered me. And he told me what the answer was to that question. Because I would ask it over and over and over. And he finally got it to me. It was fear. That was the difference. Before, if I had a headache, I didn't have any fear toward it. I just thought it was a headache. So it was a normal, natural thing. If I got a pain, I never 
took it into something that was serious or dangerous. But after I had my breakdown and through getting well to that, I didn't have anything that was little. If I had a pain and it was in my arm, I just would, my imagination would go so wild, I would think that something's seriously wrong with my arm and it may have to be amputated. I mean, I had nothing that was little. If my heart palpitated, I knew I was going to die because I had, a, I had, you know, a heart condition that was really going to be serious and take me out, you know. If my head hurt, now it was a brain tumor. Before it was just a headache. So there is fear. There's tremendous fear, and it is painful. Anxiety has many causes. The first one is it can result from unconscious internal conflicts that we have within. Galatians 5, verses 17 through 21. You all probably know that scripture. It says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We have freedom. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice, and it is practicing such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, one thing that we learn in here is you're always practicing something and the things that we may practice most of the time, and even when we look up the word in, in the word of God, proso, and it'll either be do or practice. But when we look that up, um, it tells us uh, most of the things there for the word proso, at least, are negative that people practice out of the word of God. Only one thing is positive, and that is when uh, Paul is telling us um, that the things that we see him uh, do and hear him say, practice these things. That is proso, these things. And then the peace will, uh, will guard your heart and mind and uh, soul. And so, but most of them are negative. So we're going to practice something. We'll either practice things during the day that are negative, and every time something happens, some kind of an event in our life, and we're thinking about that person, and our thinking is negative, you are practicing negative things, and you're placing negative things in your own life, and not only in your own life, but in other people's lives. One thing about anxiety is we'll all have it, but you know, until, until it becomes a symptom, it's normal, and you'll have some stress, you'll have some anxiety, but we all have to learn. We all have like a um, constitutional level within us. I hit mine at 26, which means I carried enough temper that at 26 symptoms came out in my life. Other people have a constitution that's a little bit stronger, or maybe they don't carry as much temper as I did. Mine was all fearful tempers. Some people 
you know, they just don't have them. They don't have that many tempers. They can go and go and go and go. I always say my Marty, um, he carried angry temper. I carried fearful temper. I had a nervous breakdown at 26. He had a heart attack at 38. And then at 50, he had um, uh, carotid artery. And uh, the doctor told me, your husband has arteries of a 70-year-old. He needs to get rid of that stress. Well, you know, that's like telling a board to get rid of stress. Um, Mark just didn't know how, even though I went to um, get my healing and he went with me for a year. He didn't apply it to himself. So we have to take it and we have to apply it to ourselves. And at 50, he got lupus and that's what took him out. And the Lord told me, because I asked the Lord at one time, because I knew all the anxiety that Marty carried, and I couldn't understand why could he carry all that temper and just keep going on and not have the pain. If I carried temper, I got symptoms. And so I couldn't afford it, but he could afford it. And one night after leaving the hospital, when Marty had just had, he passed out at one of the prayer meetings that we were at, and they took him to the hospital. And when I was leaving, the Lord told me that nobody gets away with it. And where your husband is, is due to it. And he said, he told me that if he doesn't change his attitude, I'm taking him home. And I remember really praying that night for Marty and asking God, please don't take him home. Please let him hear. And, and God gave him two more years. Two more years he gave him before he went home. But we can't afford it. None of us can afford it. So it'll get us sooner or later in one way or another, either in your mind or in your, your, um, your emotions or in your physical body. It takes its toll. And sometimes and most of the time, all, all three of those places to some extent. So uh, psychologists do it this way. They distinguish between, between approach avoidance conflicts approach approach conflicts and avoidance avoidance conflicts now approach av uh, avoidance conflicts exist when there is one goal with both desirable and undesirable qualities an example is a male seminary student who has been looking forward to his upcoming marriage for several months may begin as the wedding date approaches to question whether he wants to give up his freedom and support a wife. So he's in the approach avoidance conflicts that are going on within him. Now the approach approach conflicts exist when there are two goals, both are desirable but mutually exclusive. An example is a donkey starves because he cannot decide which of the two bales of hay to eat first. So he stands there and dies. And sometimes we can do the same thing. A person that's very anxious, decisions are very, very difficult for them because they might make the wrong one. And they'll be very anxious about that. So just being in the store and picking out what melon you want or picking out a pair of socks that you want is a major event, major, major in the life of someone that has anxiety. 
Here is the avoidance-avoidance conflict exists when there are two undesirable choices, so we cannot avoid dealing with one of them. Example, a seminary student can study for a boring class or flunk the course. Both of those choices are undesirable to him. It doesn't want to study and he doesn't want to fail, you know. <laughs> or a young boy's parents may constantly tell him to grow up. But when he tries to be more in independent, they punish him. So they want him to grow up, but they also want him to stay under their control or stay under their wing. They don't know which one they want, you know. No matter which way one moves in such a situation, they meet with an undesirable choice that arouses anxiety within them either way. Anxiety can come from fears of inferiority, poverty, or poor health. Number two, it can be learned. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, we will learn, uh, we will either learn the way of love or hate as we're growing up, depending upon our parents and what they're modeling. Because we don't learn by what people tell us. It's by what they model. It's demonstration. Uh, integrity or corrupt. Giving, kindness, or taking advantage of people truthful or dishonest calm or emotional it's what we it's what we um, really show our children and the people around us our Christian witness is the same we can speak a good word and we can speak all the Christianese as they say but our life is what shows whether we're living it or not peace or uproar in our lives. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Wherever we are, we have learned these things, and it has formed beliefs within us. And we make our decisions according to those beliefs, and we react according to those beliefs, and that's why the word says that our mind must be renewed. But the mind being renewed, you and I can sit and listen to sermons from here to kingdom come and stay the same in our behaviors because we forget them no more than we walk out the door. And that's why the covenant workshop is the most important. Teaching, hearing, the teaching that goes forth is good. But the most important thing is sitting in that covenant workshop and hearing people learn how to put what is taught and God's word into practice in their lives. You don't forget that. When you're in certain circumstances, you'll remember more, oh, I remember that Jane did that. And of course, you know if she did, you can. You know that God is no respecter of persons. And if someone else can put that into practice in their life, then you can also. And it doesn't matter what the event is. And you all have heard that many times if, if the leaders are saying that to you. It doesn't matter what the event is. The most important steps of the example are two, three, four, and five. 
what the temper was, and then the covenant part, what God has spoken to you, and then what you have done, and then the comparison is really awesomely important because in that being given, that transformation, you will praise God. If you see the game like Sharon, what an awesome uh, testimony up here. That's a testimony that she gave of what God did in her life. She could turn that into an example. It's all she would have had to have done was explain her tempers that were going on within her at that time. And it could be a great example to give, and people can see then and understand that God really changes our hearts. He really does. As we begin to learn and cooperate and learn to be slow to speak and slow to anger, as the word says, to give God a chance to tell you something. Because we're so quick with what we do that the Holy Spirit hardly has a chance to say. So I would say if somebody says to me, what is the most important part? I'd say the workshop. When you just hear the teaching and go out the door and don't get the um, seeing other people and how they practice you lose, you lose so much. And you're really like on your own, you know. Um, and it's like hearing a sermon. <laughs> you're only going to retain so much of this. But it's appropriated when we do it, when we actually begin to do it. You know what? As you do it, it becomes life within you. The Word of God becomes life. And then before long, it's your life. And you and that Word are actually the same. There's no difference between the two of you. You become the Word, who is Christ, right? You become that. So, Lord, we thank you. So we learn as a child from our parents, teachers, brothers, sisters, friends, and etc., how to react to situations and events. If the people around us are fearful, anxious, nervous, worried, or having trouble with my page too, are emotional, then we will learn to react in this way. We'll react the very same way. We used to have a young man that um, was my son's friend, and we used to call him Panic Button because um, he never reacted in, to anything in a calm way. And his name was Wayne, and we'd call him Wayney. And I learned about Wayne. I learned... Bonnie would. Um, she cut her foot one day, I remember, and uh, I forget what you cut it on, but okay. I didn't know because Wayne came screaming down at my house. <laughs> Mrs. F, Mrs. F, Bonnie's bleeding all over the place, and I go flying out the door and run to her, and I did have to take her to the hospital for stitches. But uh, I was beginning to learn about Wayne and his reactions. So here he comes another day. Mrs. F, Mrs. F, Bonnie. Oh, she's bleeding in her head. Everything is blood all over her. And I ran out there, and sure enough, it was. It was all through her hair and everything. And I thought, just calm down, because Wayne gets all excited 
So I knew to settle myself down, I brought her in. She was always so sweet and precious, beautiful blonde hair, and it was just covered with blood. And I said, we're going to wash your hair first to find out what it is. And so I washed her hair, and it was a little bitty cut on the top of her head. And, of course, she was where she shouldn't have been, which was in the, you know, the, the thing, the whatever it is, those pipes that sort of pipe that goes under the <laughs> and and she stood up and hit the top and it cut her head, you know. So we can we want to learn to to bring down our emotions when things happen and instead of going into the panics that we can certainly go into. See if our parents are steady though and calm and realistic and objective we learn by watching them. But not everybody had steady parents. Not everybody had parents that were calm. They'd take things and just blow them out of proportion, and then we would learn that. Some, we, some of us had parents that would exaggerate things, and we learned how to exaggerate. We learn these things. They're things that we learn. So we learn the same way. If they had good habits, we learned those they had bad ones, we learned those. Three, it can stem from childhood conflicts or from present-day situations in our life, situational problems, even in this day. In early childhood, all of us have experienced experiences that created anxiety within us. Individuals who have had a particular stressful childhood with many bad experiences generally suffer a great deal of anxiety and they're going to have to learn as they grow up somewhere along the line God will get them to a place where they can learn individuals who have had a particular stress oh I just did that much of that anxiety is not dealt with at the time that's the problem that it appears but is repressed into the subconscious instead. There's a neurosurgeon that was named Wilder Penfield who saw the brain as functioning much like a high-fidelity tape recorder or a computer with memory banks. And he found a range of response when he touched certain areas of the brain with electrodes. And he discovered that several things happened. Sometimes an individual would remember a specific event when he touched a certain part of the brain. And sometimes they would also remember the feeling that occurred with those events. And sometimes they would recall only the feeling, such as elation or depression, without any specific recollection of the event. Kevin, was that you that told me about the brain? Um... Yeah, will you just give that here on the, on the tape? I heard in a speaking that um, they actually put people in a CAT scan tube and they got them to a point in praise and worship where they were actually in the spirit and they would feel the spirit of the Lord and certain areas of the brain were activated that they had never seen activated in any other brain study at all. So they found out that this, there's one area of the brain that is like dormant, except when you enter into the presence of the Holy Spirit, then that part of the brain is activated and only at that time. Isn't that awesome? And weren't they, uh, weren't some of them praying in tongues? Yeah, they had them doing all different things 
Yes, and that would just really uh, use a part of the brain that's not normally ever used. Yeah, isn't that awesome? It's good. So uh, Penfield concluded that specific memories and emotions are recorded and restored and that they can be replayed. They can be replayed today in as vivid a form as when they occurred. And I found that in counseling people when they would have flashbacks. Sometimes the flashback was the memory of what happened. And sometimes it would be the feeling. Things can trigger this kind of stuff too. A smell can trigger it or a voice can trigger these things and uh, bring flashbacks in to take people back, you know. And um, so I used to teach people how to have flashbacks so that when they came it wouldn't frighten them because a lot of times when you're going through counseling or going through healing, you're going to have these. And they come up and it's not the enemy that's bringing them. It's God that wants you healed. The enemy doesn't want you healed. So we can trust that it's God and that he's there with you. He was there with you when it happened originally. He's there with you now. And so it starts taking the anxiety away. So I would just teach them when a flashback happens. And even going through grief, this is so good. When those things happen, you do nothing. You don't have to do anything. Just wait. Let it pass. Just let it play out, you know, whatever it is. And then when it's finished, if you're strong enough and you can work it out some with the Lord, do it. But if you're not strong enough, just change your thoughts and go on and wait until you can work it out with the Lord. And, um, and that way you don't get yourself all upset and make things worse than they are. Because it is our anxiety, it is our stress that magnifies these things hundreds of times. And we just get ourselves into a tizzy. And the Lord wants us to learn, no, be anxious for nothing, he says. Nothing. Well, if God says we don't have to be anxious for anything, then that means whatever circumstance, whatever goes on in our lives, we can trust God. We can know that he'll never give us anything beyond what we are able. That's what God says. We'll never be tempted beyond what we are able. So no matter what happens in my life, I can know that God will never allow to me anything that is beyond what I can handle. Isn't that good? See, when we begin to learn these truths, but we learn them by by really practicing with them, with the things that happen in our lives, then in that experience, as you're practicing, you begin to learn to trust God. That God, I can trust you because you did bring me through that. You can look back over your past and see how many times he has taken you through things and things that you thought you couldn't get through. I know so many in my own life that I'm not going to be able to get through this, but God gets you through it. It's an experience. And it's an experience that he wants us to look at and see how good he is and how he'll always be there for us, just like he was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and for Daniel, and for anyone else that you can mention, how he saved Noah and the people, how he saved them to keep the line, to keep the creation going. He is 
our protector and he is he is the one who will not allow anything to happen you know and it says in that same scripture that he will make the way of escape for us so that we can bear it and you know um he showed me with our body the way of escape with our body if something real traumatic happens to our body we go into shock it's a way of escape and he does the same thing with our emotions he takes us into shock and numbness in our emotions he will always be there for us and as we learn that we say wow god you are awesome so uh he concluded that specific memories and emotions are recorded and restored and and stored and they really are and that they can be replayed today in as vivid a form as when they occurred i remember uh going into that was here in florida already born again counseling and the lord uh, sometimes he wants us to experience these things for ourselves so that we really understand and i went into a used furniture store for something and there was a certain smell there that brought me back to the memory of my mom brought me back to the memory of when my daddy died and uh, she moved in with us and then i had to tell her in order to save my marriage that mom you have to go back home and we had to go buy uh more furniture and we had to buy used furniture it was a hard time in my life very very hard and that brought that whole thing back to me it was the smell and i thought wow god that is so true it's so true but god is with us with those things and he brought healing more healing in me as a result of that coming up he's so wonderful and so awesome so this explains why we often overreact to current situations sometimes we are not only reacting to the current stresses but also to the repressed emotions of childhood if something happens in your life and you overreact i mean there's no way that it's normal that we would react to that that way it's something else back there something that we don't know yet but we can surely ask the holy spirit to heal us and he will do it maybe not that moment but he hears your prayers and when you ask and you know he's going to do it anxiety from the current situation may also be partially repressed because things happen that we don't want we don't want to go through we don't want to know them and we can repress them even today we can repress things and stuff them stuff them where we don't want to we don't want to think about it and so we stuff it into our subconscious or it may be internalized resulting in depression so here's the fourth thing some people get anxious about being anxious have you ever done that this only creates more anxiety in the person it intensifies it just intensifies it or they develop anxiety over a particular phobia or obsession they have or they develop anxiety over uh being depressed or any other nervous symptom that they have they get anxious over it i used to all the time i mean any time a symptom was there i was anxious about it very very anxious and would have panic attacks and everything else 
what I learned to practice during those times, and it was from the program uh, that God put me in. What I learned to practice was to stop listening to the temperamental language because, see, when we're anxious, there's all kinds of temperamental thoughts and language going into our head. It comes with rapid fire even, and there's not one thing that is normal or positive. It's all negative. And I learned to stop listening to that and ignore the symptoms. Even I can, I can still see myself standing on the steps in Louisville, Kentucky, in one of our homes on Park Lawn. It was when we was on Park Lawn, as if that makes a difference to you. But there I was, getting ready to come downstairs, and air hunger hit me, and that's what they called it in the program. In other words, I couldn't breathe. My breath was gone. And boy, you're, you're trying, you're trying to get that breath to come, and it's not there. It's just not there. And panic starts coming because you feel like you're going to die. You're just going to die because you can't get it. And then that would come to my head because, see, now it's the Word of God that comes. But then it was that. That's where God put me to get well. And that would come, stop listening to the temperamental language because the temperamental language is telling me you're not going to get another breath. There's not going to be another breath. And that's what the language would tell me. And ignore the symptom. And I remember I said it out loud. I would always say it out loud because it would help me to think about that and not the symptom that was there. Well, there's so much more here that I know we're not going to get through it tonight. Um, so we'll, we'll finish this. We'll do this again um, next week. And um, there's even more after this teaching. But there is a scripture that uh, I want to read to you before I stop. And it's the last scripture that I had here where it's talking about worry again. And this is Matthew chapter 6. We all know this one, 25 through 34. And it's our Lord speaking, our Lord Jesus. And he says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are, are you not of more value than they? And we say, yes, Lord, thank you. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to his statue? never going to do anything is it so why do you worry about clothing consider the lilies of the field how they grow they neither toil nor spin and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these now if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, which means the unbelievers seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry 
about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we only have the grace to, that's something else that's so important for us to know, we only have the grace for now. Every amount of grace that I need to teach this class, I have it now. But when I sit down, I have grace to sit there then. And that's the way it is. So we can't live in the past, and there's no need for us to have fearful anticipation because it only brings anxiety, right? So, Father, we thank you so much. Our love for you grows and grows as we come to know you. And we just want to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. For your word, Lord, is so awesome. Your word is true. It's absolute truth that comes within us and sets us free. And I pray, God, that you touch everyone that is in this sanctuary tonight and even Joyce, who's taking care of the children. Lord, that you touch them and that real truth will just flow through them. Anoint them, Lord God. Anoint them to hear truth and not only to hear it, but be a doer of your word also. And we give you, God, all the praise and the honor and the glory. For we know that it is you that is at work in us. And we, Lord God, are to cooperate with you, to obey you, to be obedient, and work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing full well that it is you, God, that is in to in that is in work in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure so thank you lord bless them as they go into their week i pray in the mighty name of the lord jesus christ amen <laughs>